All right, well, open your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 3. We'll be taking a look at verses 7 to 13 together. Um, If you've been with us, we've been uh, in a study through the seven churches of Revelation. We've been in Revelation chapter 2 to 3. We are now talking about the sixth of seven churches and the message that Jesus gives to the church at Philadelphia. We've already taken a look at five churches. Next time will be our final church we'll look at, but we've already considered the loveless church in Ephesus, the suffering church in Smyrna, the compromising church in Pergamos, the corrupt church in Thyatira, and then last time we were together, the dead church in Sardis. You know, when you're on this journey of talking about these churches from a compromising church to corrupt church to a dead church, you might think, what's next? You know, what kind of church is Jesus going to talk to next? But the church at Philadelphia is the faithful church. And we're going to hear what Jesus has to say to this church. It's interesting to note that some churches get corrections and commendations. Only two churches receive only commendations. That's Smyrna, the suffering church, the persecuted church, and Philadelphia, the faithful church. And so we're going to consider what is Christ's message to the church, and of course, what can we learn from it. So uh, Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write... These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it for you have a little strength. Uh, Excuse me. No one can shut it for you have a little strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not but lie Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet to know that I have loved you. But you have kept my command to persevere. I will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Uh, Today we get to consider Jesus' message to the faithful church, the church of Philadelphia. And if we could get a working... um, outline or just a a helpful guide in terms of headings. We're going to begin and talk about the context of the letter in verse 7. We'll then move into the commendations in verses 8 to 10, and then take a look at the counsel of Christ in verses 11 to 13. As we begin, we take a look at the context of the letter, and most of the letters begin the same way, right? We see both the recipient of the letter and the author of the letter, and Jesus, of course, is writing to each of these churches. He has a unique message for each one. The recipient is this to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. As we said prior, an angel is a messenger. Could be a heavenly messenger, could be an earthly messenger. In the context of these local churches, it makes sense that this is most likely the messenger of the local church who's probably the pastor. And so the pastor receives the message, receives the book of the Revelation, and then has the opportunity to read it to the congregation. And each of these churches, local literal churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, Jesus has a specific message for each one of them. And this church is to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Philadelphia, just to give us a few facts about it, is located about 30 miles southeast of Sardis. That's the church we talked on last time. The dead church, so 30 miles southeast of that one. Unfortunately, uh, um, Philadelphia was located in a place where there was a lot of um, earthquakes that happened there. In 17 AD, um, it destroyed the city. And so a lot of folks, instead of moving back in, just moved to the outskirts of the city. And so a lot of the folks who lived there lived on the outskirts. Um, When you consider the name Philadelphia, it actually was named after one of the kings of Pergamum or Pergamos, one of the churches that we had talked about, one of the kings in Pergamos in that city there. And Philadelphia is 
perhaps a term that you're familiar with, not just because it's in Pennsylvania, but because of what it means. Philadelphia means brotherly love. It's the city of brotherly love. And so when you see in Scripture, there's actually seven times where you see that term Philadelphia because the kind of love we are to have for one another is like that term there, to have a brotherly love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, And so... We have the, the location and the name, but also the trade in terms of uh, what they did there to work, to, to gain wealth. It was an agricultural city, and so that's how they made a means for themselves. But the, the recipient is the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message. And what kind of message do you give the church? What does Jesus have to say to them? Jesus reminds them of who he is. Now, Uh, To each of these churches, we've seen that Jesus uses the language that's used to describe him back in chapter 1, but he uses specific statements that are specific to the situation that each of these churches are in. When you think of the faithful church, a church that remains faithful to the Lord and holds true to Scripture and, and teaches and preaches the Word of God, what is Jesus going to tell them? Jesus says three things about himself. He reminds them that he is the one who is holy. He is the one who is true, and he is the one who has the authority to open and close doors. He has the key of David. The doors he opens, no one else can shut. The doors he shuts, no one else can open. And so he begins and says that he is the holy one. Uh, Holy simply means set apart. There's no one like our God. There is no one like Jesus. Jesus is set apart from creation as the creator. He's set apart from time as the eternal one. He's set apart from sin as the sinless one, as the righteous one. He's set apart from the gods and the idols worshipped around the world even during this time as the one true God. There is no one like our God and there is no one like Jesus Christ our Savior and our Lord. Because he is holy, he does not tolerate sin nor will he tolerate sin when you realize that Jesus is the Holy One and consider the message he gives to this faithful church, only commendations, it tells you a lot about this church. If Jesus, as we've heard previously, is the one with an eye like a flame of fire and he stands in purity and power with fine brass, previously we saw that to one of the churches and back in chapter one, certainly if he's only got commendations for this church, this church has been doing something very much commendable. And so he's described as the holy one. Secondly, he's described as the true one. If Jesus is true, that means he's trustworthy. This is a church who has been faithful and is encouraged to remain faithful. But if you're going to be faithful, even in the face of adversity, even in the face of persecution, you've got to trust Jesus. And Jesus is trustworthy and true. If, if he's holy, we should be holy. You think of um, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, but that says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because that is it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Because he's holy, we should be holy. Since he is true and trustworthy, we should trust him fully. He's, he's genuine. He's authentic. He's not a copy. He's the original. You go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. You learn that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. If you want to know who God is, take a look at Christ. If you want to get to know your heavenly Father, the God who created heaven and earth and everything in it, get to know Jesus. Get to know the one who is revealed in the Gospels. The one who came from heaven to earth, who died in the sinner's place, was buried and three days later rose again in newness of life. Get to know the one who ascended to the right hand of the Father, promising to come back again in glory, and the one who promises to rule and reign forevermore. We are invited to get to know him who is true, get to know Jesus Christ the Lord. When it says he is the, vi- the image of the invisible God, it says that he's also the firstborn of all creation. Jesus is God He's not part of the creation. He is the creator in terms of firstborn. It doesn't mean in terms of order. It means in terms of rank. 
When Jesus is firstborn, it's referring to him as the sovereign God over the universe, distinct from creation, as the creator of all things. So we're reminded as Jesus is the second person of the Trinity who created heaven and earth and everything in it, it was a Trinitarian work. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit were present at the time when creation came into existence. Jesus is the one true God. Get to know him, trust him, continue to follow him. This is a good reminder to the church who is faithful so that they will remain faithful. Thirdly, he's the one who has the authority to open and close doors. He's described in our text as having the key of David. You read that title back in Isaiah chapter 22. You'll read a guy, about a guy named Eliakim who was serving King Hezekiah, one of the faithful kings, and um, uh, Eliakim was given the key of David in Isaiah 22, simply meaning that he was given access and authority to the treasury of the king. So that when Eliakim opened the treasury and he had access to all of it, no one else could shut that door. <laughs> and when he, when he closed that door and locked it, no one else could open it. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the one who has the authority to open and close any door. And no one else can open it and no one else can close it. He is the one who has the authority to open the door of the treasuries of heaven. And he also has the authority to close it. He has the key to heaven and he has the key to hell. And so we're talking about the key to eternal life. And this is an encouragement to the faithful because they're not just being faithful in the face of good times. They're being faithful in the face of adversity and hardship and difficulty. And Jesus says, I am the God of open doors. And I'm going to open a door that no one can shut, especially when it comes to the treasuries of heaven, but more than the treasuries of heaven, to the ministry opportunities that God provides this church, our church, and any church. Let me read to you a few scriptures that remind us how he does that. Revelation 118, back in chapter 1, he said this, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, amen, and I have the keys of Hades and death. Jesus has the keys to the treasuries of heaven, and he's got the keys to hell as well. In Acts 14, 27, it says, Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. He opens up the treasuries of heaven, but he also opens the heart of men to the truth of the gospel so that they can turn from themselves and turn to Christ and receive forgiveness and everlasting life. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 12, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord. Who opens the doors of the hearts of the people you and I get to minister to moment by moment, day by day? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have access to open the door ourselves, but if you have Christ, you do. And as you declare the gospel, that's the good news that Jesus uses to open up hearts. 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 9 says, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. In other words, God's word goes forth, and no one can chain his word. He's the one who opens doors. You can put in chains the messenger, but you can't put in chains the message. Jesus has the authority to open and close doors. When he opens the door, no one can shut it. When he shuts the door, no one can open it. We desperately need Jesus. If you need to enter into the treasuries of heaven, you need Jesus. If you want to minister to the lost and point them to Christ and him crucified, you need Jesus because he is the one who opens and closes doors, the one who has the key of David. And this is what the faithful church needs to be reminded of. This is what all the churches need to be reminded of. He is the holy one. He is the true one. He is the one who has the authority to open and close doors. So let me remind you of those three takeaways. Number one, if he is holy, we've been called to be holy. We've been called to be set apart. We've been called to be set apart from sin, from the world, and to Christ to live for him, 
to honor and glorify him, to be faithful to him. And God will never expect out of us what he won't provide for us, and he provides us the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who enables us to do whatever he calls us to do. You know, if you're struggling with a particular sin in your life, if uh, you've got a bad habit you need to break and you find yourself failing again and again and again, Jesus Christ is the answer. He has the power to break sin. And so as the Holy One, we are to be holy. As the trustworthy one, we are to trust him. And as the one who opens and closes doors, we are invited to seize the opportunity when he opens the door. But not only are we invited to seize the opportunity when he opens the door, we are also invited to trust him when he closes the door. There's some people that you minister to sometime and you're asking, Lord, why don't you open the door of their hearts? I've been talking to them for years. I've been talking to them for days, for weeks. I've been praying for them. Lord, open the door. Perhaps you've been looking for opportunities to, to have conversations with a neighbor, with a coworker, with a family member, with a friend. Jesus is the one who opens doors, but you patiently wait on him to open the door while you depend on him and you trust him. There's a text in Acts 16 as Paul is ministering during one of his missionary journeys and he knows where he wants to go, but God closes the door. Let me read that to you. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. This is where these seven churches are in Asia Minor. And for whatever reason, Paul, he wants to go to Asia. He wants to go to Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. He wants to minister the gospel there. But for whatever reason, at this time, he's hindered from going. He'll go to Ephesus, and he'll be there for three years. But at this time, it's not the time. Verse 7, after they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. Let's go north. And the door is closed. We don't know how, but it tells us. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. When God closes the door, continue to trust him. Continue to pray and faithfully seek where he's leading you. Because sometimes it's, this is a closed door right now, but look over there in Macedonia, there's the open door. And who knows when that door is going to open up eventually, but you walk by faith. You trust the Lord moment by moment, and you continue to seek him and follow his will. And as the Lord provides the victories, you give him the glory. And when you face some disappointments along the way because you're expecting to go down the path, you surrender the disappointments to the Lord as well. And you simply surrender to the Lord and say, God, I trust you. If I could open it up for discussion, uh, just a few questions here. First, what doors for ministry can we be praying that God would open for us individually or as a church as a whole? What kind of doors might we be praying for? Might you be praying for in terms of ministry opportunities? He's the only one who can open the doors for us. We need to rely on him. What should we be praying for? Yeah, Steve. So just walking with an intentionality of seeing the people in your circle of influence in the, in, in, at work, in the grocery store, friends, family, and being available to say, God, I see it. And those are the opportunities you seize, certainly. So praying for those, not just seeing them, but seizing them when we see them, certainly. Anything else we can be praying for? Yeah, Adam.
Awesome, Adam. Adam was sharing uh, Dos Rios. We've been as a church just trying to build a relationship with the school. And um, um, Adam got to meet with the principal. He seemed to be so open to having someone work alongside of them. And uh, so the next steps is praying that God would be strategic about the relationships and how we can meet different needs and what resources we can provide for them. And so definitely be praying for that. And Adam was also mentioning his, uh, um, his Bible study um, and just how God's been blessing that and bringing new people. And God is so good, so gracious and kind. So anything else you guys wanted to mention? Um, secondly, wanted to ask the question, when God closes doors of ministry as a church, or closes doors as a ministry individually. You know, you get frustrated sometimes. When those doors have been shut, what have you learned about yourself? What have you learned about God? Does anyone want to share? Yeah, Lena. Oh, yeah. 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 So even when doors close in places like Burma and folks even serving in ministry, it's, it's difficult being persecuted. Folks have had to, had to flee. God is still working. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You, you, I heard you learn how powerful God is, how faithful God is. He makes a way where there's no way. Anyone else want to share? What have you learned about yourself? What have you learned about God? Because I feel like we see closed doors more often at sometimes it feels like than open doors. Yes, Steve? Yeah. Don't be discouraged. And that's kind of like what I was going to go into next. How do you minister to someone who, who has just experienced a closed door? And um, Steve was saying, don't be discouraged. Continue to encourage them. Any other things that we can be doing when, you know, you've you got a faithful brother or sister in Christ praying for this or praying for that and the door seems to shut. How can we be praying for them or encouraging them? Being of just affirming the sovereignty of God, going back to his divine attributes. He's not only in control, he's good, and he's faithful. And uh, even when we don't see how it's going to work out for good, it's going to. And just being reminded of that is an encouragement. Anything else that's been helpful? Yeah, Dennis. Yeah. Mm. Oh, wow. One, one door closed, another opened. That's awesome. 
Yeah, I think a lot of us can identify with Dennis. Just, you get frustrated. You wonder, Lord, what's going on? I've been praying for this, or you've been working with somebody for a while, and it just seems they go off on another path. And Lord, was that wasted time? Uh, Five months, six years, 10 years? I mean, and yet the Lord has a path. He's working, he's moving, he's going to accomplish his purposes. He's the holy one. He's the true one. He is the one who has the authority to open and close the doors. He's trustworthy and we can trust him, continue to remain faithful. Secondly, he doesn't just gives the context of the letter. We get to see the commendations of the letter. As we said, no corrections. He begins and as he told every other church, I know your works. He told every church at the beginning, I know your works. Now, when we talked about Sardis, he said that in the context of a correction. He said, I know your works in the sense I know the good that you don't do. Now, that's a bit of a disappointment, but to the church who is faithful, to the church like Philadelphia, to the church of Philadelphia, he says, I know your works, I know the good that you do. And that's, I think, an encouragement. Every single church, he says, I know the work. It reminds us a couple of things. Number one, Jesus is all-knowing. Nothing is hidden from him. He sees even the things that are hidden under the rug. But also, it's a reminder that he finds certain things commendable when you are faithful in service to him, and he commends it. He says, I know your works. Isn't that good to know that God sees the good that he allows us to do through the power of the Spirit that indwells us? Now, we give all the glory back to him, but what a wonderful reminder and a blessing to know that as we remain faithful and we go about the work of ministry, as some doors close and other doors open, he finds those who are faithful and those who remain obedient to be commendable. As you persevere, as you keep going and moving forward, Jesus commends that. And that should be an encouragement to these churches and it should be encouragement to our church. And so he says, I know your works. He goes on to say, see, I've set before you an open door. So he doesn't just say, I know your works and I know the good that you do, but he says, there's an open door And Jesus just told us, when he opens the door, no one can shut it. When he closes the door, no one can open it. But he says, I've given you guys an open door. The question is, what open door are we talking about? I would say, number one, the treasuries of heaven. These are faithful followers of Christ, and what they are given is the reminder that they will receive the crown of life. They are assured that they will be pillars in the house of God. They are assured that those who remain faithful will inherit the treasuries of heaven. And so no matter how bad things look on this side, we can always be reminded that in eternity, from the perspective of eternity, that is an even greater blessing. And so we're talking about the treasuries of heaven to the faithful, but also the ministries of opportunity provided for them. They have remained faithful, and so God provides for them accordingly. And it doesn't tell us specifically, but we know he's the one who has opened the door. And then it says, no one can shut it, for you have a little strength. The question is, what does that mean? Well, this church has remained faithful. But the manner in which they've remained faithful is not in the face of adversity. They are perhaps a smaller church. They are a smaller church with limited resources and they are are not like some of the other churches we've already talked about in these wealthy cities with wealthy individuals providing a lot of funds to finance the ministries. But let me remind you here, Jesus says, I have provided the open door. You may be limited in resources. You may be smaller in size, but Jesus says that your opportunities are limitless when you look to me who is the source of power. So it doesn't matter how much money is in the bank. It doesn't matter how much resources you have or how many people come to the church. We've got a God who has unlimited resources and provides unlimited opportunities. When we remain faithful to him with the resources we've been given, when we remain faithful to him with the people who are a part of our body and the circles of influence that he has called us to be in, he blesses that and he says, I've got an open door for you. Now, our open doors may not all be the same for the different churches, but he's the one who provides the open door door that's a great encouragement man sometimes you you come to a dead end sometimes you say man if only we we could do this like 
that church. If only we could make a difference like them. And then you're reminded, we've got the greatest resources we could ever imagine. We've got Christ and him crucified, the one who opens and closes, or the Holy One, the, the true one. goes on to say in the verse, um, verse 9, indeed... Uh, or I have, or excuse me, for you have little strength and you have kept my word and have not denied my name. In other words, they have remained faithful. What does it mean to be a faithful church? You, you hold fast to the word of God. What does it mean to hold fast to the word of God? Obey it. You get to know it. You walk in obedience to it. That's what faithful churches look like. Proverbs 4, 20 to 27 says, my son, give attention to my words. That's Solomon there. But of course, he's speaking through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Give attention. Incline your ear to my sayings. In other words, when God's word is read, lean in. Cup your ear. Listen carefully. Lean into what God has to say. And and then it says, do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who who find them. You get tired, you get weary sometimes, you get frustrated and and disappointed, but the word of God breathes life into you. When you haven't eaten for a while, you might feel a little bit tired, or, or, and and then you're reminded we receive health from the word. Verse 23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth, and Put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn your right to, your, to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. In other words, keep moving forward. You don't need to look backward. You don't need to get distracted by the, the, what's on the right or what's on the left. Keep your eyes focused on his word. Keep your eyes fixed upon his promises and continue to move forward in the right direction. This is the faithful church. Also, they have not denied his name. Brings me back to 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9 that says, we are hard pressed on every side. We yet not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed why did he tell them you have not denied my name because the temptation was there it's one thing to say i'm going to remain faithful to you when things are going right when things are easy to follow jesus but when the pressures of persecution come and your business is at risk your job is at risk because you're a faithful follower of christ will you hold fast to the name of jesus Will you remain faithful to his cause? Will you continue to to, to walk in obedience to his word? And he commends them accordingly. And then he gives them uh, this promise. He says, indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of of Satan who say they are Jews and are not. So now we get a hint at why they have held fast or why they have needed to hold fast to Christ. There are some folks in the synagogue of Satan, as it's been described here. Why is it described as a synagogue of Satan? Well, because this synagogue is not under the influence of Christ or God. It's under the influence of Satan. And Jesus has very strong words, as he did to another church, and he says, these are not from a synagogue of God. It's a synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not. In other words, a true Jew is one who follows the will of God and the word of God. These are folks who are not following the word of God, but persecuting those who are true followers of his. But lie, indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet. In other words, they are going to be made to become humble and come before you. And then it says to know that I have loved you. I want you to think about this for a moment. This is incredible. Because these are folks who are being persecuted in the synagogue by these Jews who have attacked them, who have persecuted them, or perhaps have tried to use their leverage in order to kick them out of these different places of work and employment, who have, who have slandered their name and said, they're not true followers of the one true God like we are. And you know what Jesus says? Jesus says, I'm going to endorse them. They are going to humble themselves before you and they're going to be so impressed to stand back in awe and wonder and say, oh, how he loves them. You know that song, oh, how he loves you and me. Can you imagine your enemies, those who persecute you, those who are your enemies, and then they turn to you in humility 
And they say, oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves faithful followers of Christ. What are we talking about here? Guys like Paul. Paul, who's persecuting the church, the top persecutor. I mean, he's dragging people away in Jerusalem so much, so so effective, he's going to go to Damascus. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ humbles him on the way. He gets knocked off of his high horse literally and is humbled, blinded to see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And those who he persecuted, he says, oh, how you are loved. And he begins to declare the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I want to faithfully follow Jesus no matter what challenges come. Even if persecution should arise because we can believe that God is able to do what he did in the past. If he turned the heart of Paul to himself. If he can turn the heart of those who are persecuting from the synagogue of Satan to himself. How much more can he turn those who are hostile to the things of God, to the word of God that we talk to in our lives you know those people turn us off right i don't want to talk to him i don't want to talk to her i mean they're pretty aggressive and yet god can open a door that no one else can open and that no one else can shut and that's a, a great encouragement indeed and so verse 10 goes on to say because you have kept my command to persevere you have not given up You have remained faithful. He continues to commend them. He said, I will also keep you from the hour of trial which will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. What is he talking about there? Well, he could be talking about just a time of tribulation or persecution, but what is this time of tribulation, persecution that's gonna come upon the whole world? We're talking about the seven-year tribulation that the rest of the book of Revelation talks about. And he says, I'm going to spare you from that. Say, what are you talking about? How do you spare them? Well, there's a thing called the rapture. We read about it in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 18. Rapture literally means to be caught up. Let me read it to you. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Similar language, right? Nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac your seed shall be Oh, excuse me, I'm talking about the, the truth. <laughs> excuse me, wrong verse. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, 18. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. There we go. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these Words. Listen, if you remain faithful, it tells us here the Lord Jesus will keep you from the hour of trial. Now, some people ask the question, wait a second. These are folks who lived at a time prior to when the, the tribulation will even come or the rapture will come. But when you read the text like that, you know who else is going to be raptured? What did it say in the text? Who will rise first? The dead in Christ will rise first. And guess who are going to be among the dead? Those who are the faithful among the church at Philadelphia. And that promise will be fulfilled to them. And that promise will be fulfilled to all the faithful followers of Christ and him crucified. I hope you have that hope. I hope that that encouragement can be given to one another. When you see the events going on in the world, when you consider some of the happenings as you see the, the symptoms of birth pangs growing more and more in terms of, you can comfort one another with these words. Listen, if you're among the, the faithful, we will be preserved and taken care of. And that's a great encouragement. So let me give us just a, a few takeaways in light of the commendations given to the church. The first is this, as a church, we are invited to receive God's commendation if we are faithful. We're invited to receive his commendation. If he commends them for the good deeds that they do, for the work that is being done, for their faithfulness of holding fast to the word of God and not um, turning away from the name of Jesus and remaining faithful even in the face of adversity and persecution, if that's commendable, how much more can we say it's commendable before Christ? So let me ask this. How might you encourage a fellow believer 
who may feel like they are wavering in their faith because of the difficulties of life. We just read this text, right? And all the other churches are going to read it too, including our own, because we're reading it. But there are some churches that are, not, that are not as faithful. There's churches like Sardis who are described as the dead church. Jesus told them, you've got a reputation, you're alive, but really, I know the truth that you are dead. And so, as other churches read, as we get to read this, and sometimes our faith begins to waver a bit, um, how might you encourage fellow believers who find themselves, in light of the text, in light of what the word of God says, how do you encourage those folks? Say A little bit at a time. Yeah. Yeah, so continuing to show them love and continue just being available to them. Absolutely. I think that goes such a far ways. I'm here for you. I can chat with you. I can pray for you. Um, yeah. Anything else? Yeah, that First Thessalonians passage says, encourage one another with these words. You know, you get come around scriptures that some folks have disagreements about. You can still quote the scripture to them. Encourage them in light of what the word of God has to say. Um, uh, secondly, as a church, we're invited to adopt a, a God-sized vision. Jesus says, I've opened up a door for you. Um, if I could ask this, what does a God-sized vision of ministry look like? And what can we be praying to God for when it comes, well, we've already asked a little bit of this and we've talked a little bit about this in terms of the ministries of, of the church. What are God-sized prayers? Because he's the one who can open up doors that no one else can open. So what are those prayers that you could pray individually or we as a church could pray for big things to happen, God-sized things. Like you can't do this with a good personality, right? You can't do it with all the money in the world. What are those God-sized Prayers, those, that God-sized vision for ministry that Twin Rivers Church can say, yeah, let's, let's join that. Let's be a part of that. Yeah. So Jared's just saying, remaining faithful, and I'm hearing transforming one life at a time as the word of God is shared and preached and proclaimed as you make an impact, and then they come to Christ because the door of their hearts is open to the truth of the gospel, and we do that one at a time faithfully. Um, I heard something else, Jared, as you were talking. I was thinking more even along the lines of when we're praying for a God-sized vision, we're praying for fully devoted followers of Christ. Like God... We want to be faithful, but we want to be fully devoted. We want to we wanna go all in for Christ. Every day we wake up, we want to be completely, utterly um, serving you and you alone that let our distractions be out of the way and just praying, God, may you be my everything and may you be my all. Yeah. Anything else? Other God-sized visions? Yeah, God at work in, in and through us and changing lives as the gospel shared and reached. Yeah. Anyone else want to? This is the fun question. I mean, you get to dream big because Jesus is that big and we rely on his power and his, and his strength. Yeah. 
Let's finish the Great Commission, right? Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have taught you. And lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. Each church, individually, locally, has been given the commission, not just to reach Springfield, but to reach the nations for Christ. And what a privilege we have to pray. God, use our church to send out some missionaries that we're going to raise up within our body to send out to Mexico, to send out to Canada, to send out to South America, to send out to Africa, and let's get the job done. If, Lord, you want us to plant another church and to go out and reach the lost for Christ, let's do it. Let's fulfill the task that we have been called. Just... Exciting thing. We get to be a part of that. That's our mission as a church, to, to reach the nations for Christ in Springfield and Eugene Lane County to the ends of the world. And that's an exciting thing indeed. So as a church, we're invited to receive God's commendation if we're faithful, to adopt a God-sized vision. And lastly, we're invited to trust God's promise for protection. And he will protect us from all trials and troubles, even though he don't, doesn't remove us he will persevere us through it now in terms of the rapture he'll remove us from the tribulation to come but we know that he will protect us in all things and so first the counsel of the letter the commendation of the letter we wrap up in verses 11 to 13 the counsel of the letter verse 11 continues and says behold i am coming quickly when you see the word behold it says look you're a watchman now. Open your eyes. Jesus is coming back quickly. Now, this is a great encouragement to the faithful because as the faithful, we're going to have the privilege and opportunity of being with Christ and we're going to spend eternity with him and his people forever. And we look forward to that day. But when it says he's coming quickly to those who are not faithful, to those who are not ready, who are those who are not prepared, this is a means to get ready. Hold fast what you have. In other words, remain faithful. Hold fast to the word. Remain faithful to walk through the doors of opportunity that God opens up for you to walk through. Seize those opportunities. Continue to trust him when certain doors are closed. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. Hold fast to the imminent return of Jesus. When we're talking about the imminent return of Christ, it means that he could come back at any moment. We don't know when he's going to come back. No one knows. The Father knows. We are called to be ready at any moment. This was true for them back then in the first century. It's been true throughout church history. It's true for us today. We are to prepare for the imminent return of Christ by looking because he's coming back at any moment. I need to be ready. I need to be prepared. I need to be ready and I need to be prepared to prepare my family, my children, those in my circles of influence. We're not promised tomorrow. Jesus says I'm coming back immediately so we need to get prepared and we get to hold fast so that no one will take away our crown. We've got the promise of eternal life. What is the crown? The, the crown is the promise of everlasting life, being with God and his people forever. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. What does that mean there? That's permanence. You put in a pillar into the temple, that thing isn't going anywhere. It's not a temporary fixture. It means that it's, you're going to be there forever. And then it says, we get a new identity. I will write on him th the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. If you were a slave in the first century, they buy you and then they stamp their name on you. Let, let that person know that this one belongs to me. You get sold to somebody else, you know, you, you try to put a new stamp on there. Listen, if we belong to Christ those who have been bought at a price. We've been bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ and we are stamped with his name. <laughs> but listen, if you're a slave, a bondservant of Christ, man, we have the, 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 the treasures of heaven to enjoy. The new Jerusalem, we get to reign with Christ for a thousand years. We get to reign with Christ now and forevermore. It's such a great encouragement. And then verse 13, this is a reminder. This is not just for the church 
here at Philadelphia. It's for every church, the seven churches and also our own. He who has an ear. If you've got some spiritual insight, if you've got ears to hear what God has to say, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus has something very specific to tell those who are faithful. I am the holy one. I am the true one. I am the one who has the authority to open and close doors. What do we need to hear as we leave here today? He is the holy one. Be holy as he is holy. He is the true one. He is trustworthy. Continue to remain faithful to him. He is the one who closes and opens doors that no one else can close or open. He is the faithful one. Trust him now and forevermore and enjoy the promises that he gives each one of us. Can we pray? Father, we're grateful to hear about the faithful church in Philadelphia. Thank you for their example. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for the message that Christ gives to them and the message that we can learn from. Father, I pray as a church, corporately, as individuals who make up that church, and uh, Lord, who are believers in you, that we would be reminded of who you are moment by moment and day by day and walk with you as the Holy One. Father, I pray that we would be holy as you are holy, set apart from the world and to the word, set apart to the purposes that you've given us in our lives to go out and make disciples, to share Jesus with as many people as possible and make the name of Jesus famous in all the earth. Father, give us a heart for that. We pray, Lord, that we would be reminded moment by moment and day by day that you are true and therefore trustworthy, that we will put our faith in you and commit to serve you even when it's difficult, even in times of hardship and adversity. Lord, help us to trust you. And Lord, help us to seize the opportunities when the door is open. Help us, Father, as we were talking tonight, see, Lord, when you give us an opportunity to talk to our family, to our friends to our co-workers, to anyone you put in our circle of influence. Father, may these words stick with us and may these promises move us forward as we get to share them with others as well who remain faithful to your name. We pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen.